It's been called the epicenter. And in fact, it is the very center of the world. And the things that happen there are very central to your life and to mine. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukerin. Dr. Zukerin is a scholar, author, and speaker who addresses spiritual and cultural issues of concern to all of us. Today, Dr. Zukerin discusses the current crisis in the Middle East. What is the significance of some of the recent events in the Middle East region? Today, you'll get Dr. Zukerin's analysis. And we know that this program will make you want to know more, so we have resources for you at evidenceandanswers.org. Everything there from atheism to Zen Buddhism. Check it out today, evidenceandanswers.org. And now, here's Pat Zukerin with part two of the current crisis in the Middle East. He'll come suddenly like a thief in the night with the uh, trumpet call, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who remain shall be with them forever. So we're going to be raptured. We're going to be taken to heaven and glorified in an instant. When will that occur? May happen today. May happen after this sermon. May happen a thousand years from now. We do not know uh, when this will take place, but that will bring an end to the church age. Now, there are other Christians, good brothers and sisters in Christ, believe the rapture will occur in the middle of the tribulation. Some believe it will occur at the end of the tribulation. We go up and we come right back down. I tend to believe that the rapture will occur before the tribulation. I think the biblical arguments there are much stronger that the rapture will occur before what we call the seven-year tribulation. The church is taken out, and during The seven-year tribulation, God will unleash his wrath and judgment upon the earth. God will give man what he wants, a world without him. And his judgment will be unleashed upon the earth. Revelation chapter 4 through 19. Then at the end of the seven-year tribulation, we return with Christ. We defeat the armies of Satan and the demonic hosts and the kings of this world who are in rebellion against Christ. And he sets up. Revelation chapter 20, his millennial rule, the thousand-year rule of Christ here upon the earth, where he rules and reigns for 1,000 years. After that thousand years, Satan is let loose out of the bottomless pit. One last time, he deceives the nation to rebel against the Lord, and we fight one last battle there at the end of the thousand years, and then we... uh, Second uh, Peter, Revelation chapter 21, heaven and earth are destroyed. They're burned up in intense heat. He creates a new heaven and new earth. Crystal city of Jerusalem comes and lands upon the earth, and we go into eternity. Right? That's a brief overview of what's going to happen at the end of the age as outlined for us in the book of Revelation. Now, here's a famous prophecy, Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39. Very famous prophecy of Gog and Magog here. Now, Ezekiel 38 and 39 describe a battle that will occur during the seven-year tribulation. Some people think this battle will occur early in the seven-year tribulation. Some believe it will occur right around the middle of the tribulation, Ezekiel 38 and 39, when a coalition of nations come upon the nation of Israel to destroy the nation of Israel. So let's take a look at that prophecy real quickly here in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. In this battle here, verses 1 through 6, a coalition of nations arise against the nation of Israel. It says here, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Gog, 
the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses, and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield-wielding swords, Persia, Cush, Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Bethogarma, from the uttermost parts of the north, with all his hordes, many people are with you. So a coalition of nations here are named who come to invade the nation of Israel. Now, here is the nation, here is the list of nations that are named. First, Gog is the military leader of this coalition, and they come from Magog. Now, if you look on the map here, Magog is the land between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, present-day southern Russia. Meshech, Tubal, and Gomer are in the present-day country of Turkey. Persia, of course, is the present-day Iran. Iranians are descendants of the Persians. Kush is present-day Sudan and northern Ethiopia. Put is modern-day Libya. And it's this coalition of nations that will rise, led by Gog, and march against the nation of Israel sometime during the tribulation, whether early in the tribulation or in the middle part of the seven-year tribulation. It says here in verse 8 that they will gather against the nation of Israel. After many days, you will be mustered. In the latter days, you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely in all of them. states that the people of Israel will have been gathered once again from many nations. Now, many people believe that this gathering occurred about 500 B.C. when the nation of Israel returned from their exile in Babylon. But it doesn't fit the description here because when they return from Babylon, they are simply returning from one country. This regathering spoken of in this passage is the return of the Jews from many countries from around the world. This seems to better fit the return of the Jews to the land of Israel that occurred in 1948, where the Jews returned from all the many countries of the world. And here the attack will come from all sides of Israel. If you look on the map here, Magog from the north, Persia from the east, Cush and Put from the south, and the result of their attack is that God will show himself real to his people through his miraculous deliverance. Now, presently, the Muslim nations that surround Israel seek the destruction and elimination of Israel. And if through these upheavals, radical regimes take over, Israel will be in grave danger. Several of these nations... We know fund Hamas and Hezbollah, terrorist organizations created for one purpose, the destruction of Israel. Hezbollah, we know, operates in the north in the country of Lebanon, Hamas in the south in the Palestinian area. And we know that many of these nations are funded, and many of these organizations as well, are funded by 
the nation of Russia. Russia has funded many of these nations, not only financially, but provided them with military arms as well. All right, we know that uh, Russia has funded many of these uh, nations with um, finances and military arms. Robert McLean is a research uh, associate at the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., and he writes, From Algeria and Venezuela to Syria and Iran, Moscow displays few reservations to arming any regime that can help fuel its defense industry. The events today are not the fulfillment of the prophecies of Ezekiel, so beware of those who talk about Bible prophecies being fulfilled today. However, these events may be significant in that they are precursors. They set the stage for the events that will occur, perhaps soon, before our Lord returns. Now, verses 17 through chapter 39 speaks of the miraculous deliverance of the nation of Israel. When the armies reach Israel, God's anger will be aroused. We see in verse 18, But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence and the mountain shall be thrown down and the cliff shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog and all my mountains declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother with pestilence and bloodshed. I will enter into judgment with him and I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many people who are with him torrential rains and hailstone fire and sulfur so I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations then they will know that I am the Lord God will cause a great earthquake that will cause pandemonium between the invading armies and they will turn on one another according to verses 19 through 21 God will rain down torrents of rain hail and burning sulfur verse 22 and the armies will be decimated Chapter 39, verse 4, it says, You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your hordes and the people who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort, to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the Lord. I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. These armies will be decimated, left for food, uh, for the birds of the air. Not only Israel, but the world will see the hand of God protecting the nation of Israel, and Israel will plunder those who came to plunder her and use their weapons for several years. And through all this, God will teach Israel and the world He is holy. His name is not to be profaned by their sinful conduct. And all nations will see that He is indeed the Holy One of Israel. And it says here, there's a shocking verse here, chapter 39, verse 11 through 12. On that day, I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel, the valley of the travelers, east of the sea. It will block the travelers for there Gog and all his multitude will be buried. It will be called the valley of Haman Gog. 
For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. So for seven months, that's how long it'll take for the dead to be buried there on the road east of Jerusalem. It will be blocked by the graves of the bodies of these armies. You know, when we were in Uganda, we saw these gross-looking birds, about four and a half feet tall, look, look like a stork, uh, but a real spooky-looking guy. And they would just fly on top of the roofs of buildings and just stare down on you like they wanted to eat you or something. And so I asked my Ugandan buddy with me, I said, what are these birds here? These are spooky-looking things. And he said, and this is what he told me, okay, he said, uh, these birds flew in to our country when Idi Amin, that ruthless dictator, murdered millions of our people, and these birds flew in from all over to eat the flesh of the dead bodies, of the bodies that are rotting in our country. And the Bible, uh, and I looked at that bird, you know, it was gray with big red eyes, long, sharp, triangular kind of beak, spooky looking guy, you know, and can you imagine hundreds of those flying around devouring the flesh of the bodies of men who have died. But as a result of the battle, several significant things will happen, verses 21 through 29, says here, And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed and see and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. And the nations shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they dealt so treacherously with me. I hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and they fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions and hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies, lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations they shall know that i am the lord their god because i sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land i will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore i will not hide my face anymore from them when i pour out my spirit upon the house of israel declares the lord as a result of God's miraculous deliverance, Israel and the nations will recognize that this is God who delivered the people of Israel. The nations will recognize the God of Israel. And in verse 22 through 29, we read, Israel will turn back to God. And as we read in verse 28, this will hasten the return of Jews even more back to the land of Israel and there will be a national repentance in the nation of Israel, and God will pour out His Spirit among the Jews. So even through this tragedy, God's will shall be accomplished. His glory and His justice shall be exalted. You know, some people feel that this was fulfilled when Israel returned from Babylon in about 500 B.C. Well, Israel... Uh, first of all, was not delivered in a miraculous way from these nations as described in chapters 38 and 39. 
And today, Israel remains an unbelieving nation. They are a very secular kind of nation. The national repentance spoken of here in chapter 39 has not occurred in the nation of Israel. So this is one that will occur. And it's interesting because, as you can see, it names the countries that we are hearing about now in upheaval in the Middle East. There are several other passages I could point you to, but for the sake of time, I want to point you to one more, perhaps one that's not as familiar to you, and it's Zechariah chapter 5, because it involves another nation we hear about a lot in the news. Zechariah chapter 5, God takes the prophet of Ezekiel out into the desert, and he sees God reveals to him in this vision a prophecy of what is to come in the future. It says, Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, What is it? He said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the linen weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between the earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they taking the basket? He said to me, To the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. When this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. Now, in this prophecy here, Zechariah sees evil embodied in the presence of a woman. And this woman is locked in a lead basket. And there she is taken. And she is placed in the land of Shinar there. And she will be released at the appointed time. Well... According to Old Testament times, where is the land of Shinar? Present day, Iraq, okay? Babylon. Right? When does the woman appear again? I believe you've got a direct connection here. Revelation chapter 17 and 18. The apostle John sees a woman. He calls her um, the great prostitute of Babylon riding Upon a beast with seven heads. It says here, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. And then we jump down to verse 15. And the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they 
and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over kings of the earth. Now, in the book of Revelation, we have a political power that rises from the ashes of the Roman Empire. You can also read this in Daniel's great prophecy as well, where we have in chapter 2, the great statue, head of gold, chest of silver, uh, waist of bronze, legs of iron, and then you have the feet, iron mixed with clay. What does that represent? Well, from the ashes of the Roman Empire will come a ten-nation confederacy, and from this confederacy will arise the Antichrist. Now, that is the political power, the political power, the Antichrist there of Satan's army there at the end times. The economic and religious power will come from Babylon. That's what the prostitute represents. And she's covered in purple with great riches, you see in verse 18. So the economic power, but also the seat of false religion comes from Babylon, okay? present-day Iraq. So what you have in the end times, you have the revived Roman Empire is the political power with the military might, the economic engine, and the center of religious uh, false teaching is Babylon. And that's the two powerhouses you see in the end times. To make a, a poor illustration, it's kind of in the U.S., Washington, D.C. is our political power, and New York City is our economic power. And when you go to those two cities, when you're in D.C., you can feel the you know, political power there. It's a powerful city. You can just feel it. And when you're in New York, you can sense the money flowing right under your feet. That's our economic engine there in New York. And that's what we're going to have in the end times. So that's another uh, famous prophecy we have here, Zechariah 5.5, fulfilled in Revelation 17 and 18. Well, what do we learn? What can we apply from what we are seeing today as it relates to Bible prophecy? Well, let me give you a few applications here. Number one, we need to pray for our leaders for wisdom in dealing with the crisis. And it appears that this area of the world will continue to be a hostile and unstable part of the world until Christ returns. Second, we're called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but also pray for our Christian brothers and sisters. We have many of them in Syria, in Iran, in Iraq, in Egypt, in Palestine, in Iran, in Pakistan, and other Muslim countries around the world where they suffer tremendous persecution. I remember speaking to a woman from Palestine, and she said, whenever I'm in U.S. and I tell them I'm Palestinian, they tell me, they automatically assume I'm a radical Muslim terrorist. And she says, man, that hurts because I'm a, believing, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. There's many of us there in Palestine, and you guys don't pray for us. And whenever you, you hear Palestinian, Jordanian, you think we're Islamic terrorists or something, you know? 
Okay, so don't forget our brothers and sisters in these Muslim countries suffering great persecution. We need their presence there. Uh, they suffer great persecution. Many of them are leaving those nations because of the persecution they face. Uh, but we need the presence of Christ there, and there the presence of Christ. We need to pray for them and not to neglect our prayers for them. Third, understanding prophecy gives us an understanding of world events and how they fit into God's plan for the age. Fourth, remember God is in control, working world events to fulfill his purpose. What may seem out of control and chaotic to us is falling right into God's plan. And remember that God will be triumphant in the end. This is not catching him by surprise. Therefore, we can have hope even in the midst of a world in turmoil. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, he says, when you see these things happening, know that my return is near. Let's be ready for what is ahead and let's pray for his soon coming. Thank you so much for joining us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuprin. Get more information at evidenceandanswers.org as well as audio from the Hawaii Apologetics Conference where Pat was joined by Dr. William Lane Craig. Topics include the existence of God, the problem of God and evil, science and religion, the new atheism, and that's just for starters. It's all at evidenceandanswers.org. If you believe that we ought to know what one believes but also why one believes it, then become a part of us at Evidence and Answers. Your prayers and financial gifts help keep Evidence and Answers on this station and keeps Pat Zucran giving good evidence and good answers when it comes to the things of God. Just click the Donate button at evidenceandanswers.org. It would be a real blessing to hear from you. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. <laughs>